You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. put on the Trump robe. Is that a framed Ayn Rand? It is. It has a lot of her quotes that make up her face. I'm a, I'm a big fan of objectivism. This is the cold opening. <laughs> I ate all of this and I actually love it. When did you... Okay, like... How... Do, you have to tell me the origin of the Ayn Rand portrait behind you. Oh, actually, so my husband, who is an anarchist as well, um, and actually a huge fan of Ayn Rand, that is actually how we got together. So his first message to me in uh, the Match Messenger, because we were on a dating website, and I was actually not actually looking to date. I was doing an experiment, which is really funny. Oh, that's what women Uh, always say when they're just trying to date. They don't want to actually admit to it. Oh, my God. Please. Please, dear God, do not put this video up. Or I will get canceled. I'm, but, I'm yeah. dressed like a Russian grandmother. Right you now. you kind of are. Yeah. yeah. You have a little bit of that Russian look to your face too, Remzo. Like I know I'm, you say you're Korean. It's just because I'm puffy right now because it's so cold <laughs> and my cheeks are red. Yeah. I feel like I want to give you pierogies. I don't know why. You're in the um, middle of Russian winter. But yeah. So um, the first message he sent me on Messenger, which plenty of men sent, send messages if you're not a complete loser – Um, but his was the John Galt quote, um, I swear by my life and love, whatever, which is funny because I, you know, on my match profile, I didn't say anything about, uh, my political views actually didn't want people to look at social media and stuff like that. But there was one picture where I had the little voluntarist symbol in the bottom. Most people thought that was like a sports thing or whatever. Yeah. Manchester United. Totally. Yeah, like they thought maybe I was from West Virginia or something. But my my husband now knew what voluntarism was because he was a libertarian and sent me that quote. And it was probably the best private messenger I've ever received. And um, thus began our relationship. He got that for me for my office um, when I was working out of home for Allstate. Um, so I hung that there. And it's, Quoting, it's a quote. It's quote. all her quotes that make up her face. I can honestly say that quoting Ayn Rand has never gotten me laid. <laughs> well, you know what? You just ha- you did find the right girl. Oh, I did, but it wasn't by totally I, I got I, him laid for sure. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so it's so funny because I I've told the story more often recently. In fact, I told it to a couple coworkers of mine, and um, I met I met my fiance, my soon to be wife, at a at a costume party when we were both at Liberty University when I was dressed as Bernie Sanders. Oh, I thought you were going to say you were dressed as Jerry Falwell, which would have been amazing. No, I had to have my pants on. 
I wasn't peeking around bushes, like, you know, viciously jerking off. Or junior or senior? Who are we talking about here? It was, it was junior. Yeah. Right. Yes. But actually my husband will be in the background. I will have background noise today, but yes, he is, he is a huge fan of Ayn Rand. How did you, how did you respond to that though? Did you like continue on the Oh, oh my, my response, I literally screenshot it and we think about it and we laugh about it. And I said, Oh, look at you flexing. <laughs> And I can't remember his response. I said, oh, now you're really flexing. <laughs> and he did. Did you, like, did you like screenshot that and print it out later? I, I, I have. I've used it many oh times. Oh, my gosh. I, um, yes, we are those dorky libertarians. We're the worst and the best. <laughs> the, 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 the worst ones are the ones that like immediately base their entire relationship around like libertarianism at the yes. moment any of them no grows. we did not do that uh, most of it was based on like mutual philosophy agreement life situations and i, I like knew that. a i knew a guy who was <laughs> running for congress or senate as a libertarian and he hooked up with one of his like libertarian groupies who was like 20 years younger and the moment she started developing a personality outside of that <laughs> he was like i don't know who you are <laughs> It is. No, uh, he, he yeah. definitely. Um, we actually, he's actually, he doesn't te- technically call himself an anarchist. I, I don't think. Hey, honey. Yes. Hey, we're discussing our relationship and you're in the background for once in a show. Right. Well, yes. Yes. I can't hear what's going on. because No, you can't hear because I have headphones. <laughs> yes. Right. Remzo was commenting on the Ayn Rand picture that's literally made up of her quotes that make her face. Yeah. Yes. Did you like change that so they can hear it. I can't change it that you can hear it because then like it gets weird if you don't have headphones. So so he <laughs> bought so he bought the Ayn Rand photo for you. He did. He bought it and framed it for a Valentine's Day present yeah. for my office. There is something like you cannot write jokes like that. I know. Where were the worst libertarians? No, oh John. I, you can't I know have I want that. I want to know where he bought that. I want to know. Actually no give, uh, give him one of the headsets. Okay. Remso wants you like to have butt, one of the headsets. Butt heads or something. That you don't like his show is really, he just does whatever the fuck he wants to. So. Hey John, right. how you doing? Oh, you remember him? Yeah, we met at yeah. you guys met at the Walpole party. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Of all the Valentine's Day gifts you could have gotten her, like jewelry or anything else, like lingerie or something, that wasn't an option. It had to be oh, Ayn right. Rand staring over her menacingly. Yes, he said it would have to be Ayn Rand staring over me menacingly. Like yes. where 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 did you find that? Well, <laughs> hold on. He's having a hard time with the headphones. We do it live here, folks. Yes, it's it's all it's on the run. It's We're on fine. the run. It's fine. So I had to search for it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, it's like I was trying to find some kind of illustration of our philosophy that we could hang upon the wall. Actually, that she could hang upon her wall, because when I bought that for her. She was in the position to become a um, insurance agent. Right? Yeah, it's for your wall and your. I office. was. Yeah, right. it was when so I went like for all. So you're trying state. to decorate like your space, your yes. professional space. Yes. Were your coworkers that, like, "Oh, is that your grandmother"? <laughs> My coworkers had no clue. Like, basically, <laughs> you know, when you meet people outside of this space, they're just they like, "Oh, care. she's in a cult." Yeah, L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> And, and, and they don't care, and I don't blame them for not caring, to be honest. They were just like, oh, she's kind of weird. So, you know. 
How would you feel if if rant if you put that like in your bedroom, like right across from your bed? So as you're sleeping at night, each time you wake up, you see her staring at you. How do you know we don't have that already? Because it's right there. <laughs> no, maybe we got a copy. Do you have a second one? Well, um, well like I don't I mean, want kink shame you or anything, but like you know, to each their own, right? <laughs> we actually, I think what's staring across from our bed is the yin yang. Yes, it's the yin yang. Yes, and then there is Jordan, which Peterson Ayn Rand would completely think is ridiculous. I, I knew, I knew a couple well, that had a framed photo of Jesus. Yeah. Well, not like a photo, not like you could take a photo of Jesus, yeah. but like a Jesus oil painting staring mm-hmm. straight at them. Yeah, that I'm. I, yeah, I mean, we're both fans of the philosophy of Jesus, but uh, yeah, not into that. Not at all. Yeah, I want Jesus staring at me as I sleep either. Yes. Like that, at least. Mm. Wait, what, so Remzo, like, are you one of those people that hates on Ayn Rand? No, I love Ayn Rand. I, I'm, I'm, such a, I'm such a fan of Ayn Rand. I still defend the, the, the one scene in The Fountainhead. And I, I, didn't, I didn't want the whole episode to turn into, like, innuendos and sex jokes. But, like, let's get serious for a second. Okay. John, I want to get your opinion on this, too, since I've recruited <laughs> you. So I, I, was at a, I was at a Young Americans for Liberty convention uh, before the communists take over. And um, I was sitting down with a, with a friend of mine who's in the Virginia House of Delegates who was a speaker there. We were both in Detroit. We were grabbing a drink. And um, I don't know what brought it up, but somebody made an Ayn Rand joke because that's what you do when you're around libertarians. And I just mentioned that I had finished reading The Fountainhead for the fifth time. And he looks at me. He's like, I can't do that book. I like all her other stuff, but I can't do that book. I'm like, why can't you do that book? And he's like, Remzo, it's because she wrote a rape scene into it, and then they disregard it. And I'm like, that's not rape. Since when was rough sex rape? And then everyone looks at me. Like, out of context, I'm like, whoa, no, I'm not saying what you think I'm saying. And then, and then it turned into, like, everyone hates the Fountainhead. So you've got two types of people. You've got, like, the losers who hate the Fountainhead but love Ayn Rand. And then you have the people that are smart and like the Fountainhead and understand what that scene actually was. Do you know what's really funny? So my oldest daughter is going off to college uh, in the fall. She's a senior and graduating. And she was looking to get a scholarship and I was trying to, like, we were trying to find obscure, like, small scholarships, you know, because they all add up. And um, I think it's the Ayn Rand Institute. Is that the one? Mm-hmm. Where she could write an essay after reading The Fountainhead. But then uh, upon further research, she's like, Mom, uh, what I'm researching about this book, you know, and obviously John gave her a copy of it, was like, there's a rape scene and it's really <laughs> controversial. <laughs> Yeah. And we were both like, what the hell? <laughs> like, like, can we get the headphones out of here? We can get I mean, the headphones out, honey, headphones. but it's going to be computer audio, which is going to suck. I, I, I'm not even wearing no, headsets because I got like a cheap pair of Alibaba headsets from China. <laughs> and then I had to order a real pair of like, you know, real Chinese headsets that are sent to me tomorrow. So people will live. They'll survive. Okay. Okay. It's, well, then it just doesn't sound as good when you don't have headphones is what people I found. People will find a reason to complain. Let yes. them complain about this. Yes. They, they get to hear me defend rough sex. So they'll listen. Well, I'm really, really impressed by the fact that you appreciate Ayn Rand and don't, I, I, I don't understand this whole libertarian philosophy of number one, that whole argument that she took social security, but yet those people like Ron Paul, he was a freaking congressman. Like, and he, you're mad. He was the, he was the king of, of pork spending. I, I used yeah. to work for, I used to work for a guy 
uh, Tom Garrett. I've spoken very positively about him often. He was a Republican from Virginia. And his defense of pork spending was every dollar you bring back to your district is a dollar you take back from the federal government. Well, I, I, I mean, in a certain way, there's something to be said about that. But there's also something to be said about a private citizen taking back Social Security, to which they could have made more money at. And then a senator taking it from the government and allocating it to the people. I think those are two very different well, things. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like I just did my taxes and I was not like yelling when I got my refund. Yeah. Well, no. And you should absolutely. And I don't like that whole position. Obviously, being an anarchist, I got a lot of blowback for that. But yeah, I file taxes because, you know, you don't I don't go really, I don't particularly want to spend my time in prison. No, that would, <laughs> not that would not be a useful use of your no. time. But but going no. back to Ayn Rand, I mean, I, I, um, I did a, I, I did a panel at Freedom Fest like years ago, like five years ago now. And it was it's gotten one. so ridiculously neocon. I'm so it's, sad. Um, I, I mean, uh, that that's a whole other story. But like, I was I was there when they were still letting minors drink. But um, I, I was I was at like uh, an Atlas Society panel, <laughs> and I was talking like you know uh, a religious defense of Ayn Rand, because you know it's not just a schism amongst libertarians. Like a lot of really religious people don't like Ayn Rand. And I was one of the few Christians up there that was defending her. And my thing was like, listen, you're not going to find many like champions of individual freedom who are also going to provide you with kind of like a structure where you're going to have to really closely and intensely question your own beliefs and defend them. Mm -hmm. And while I don't agree with everything Ayn Rand ever wrote, I think I'm a better person. And I mean a whole person, like every part of my life. Like I take a whole holistic approach to Ayn Rand, and I think everyone should read her because she she really is one of those philosophers who who is gonna who's gonna challenge you. And I think a lot of a lot of people when they look at philosophers, they try and find somebody that already kind of has explained a framework that they have in their mind and they're just looking to justify it. Whereas with Rand, you're not getting that. Like there no, is no, I, there is no clean, easy answer. And, and that's like, you know, it, it, it bleeds into other things. So that, that Howard Rourke, uh, angry, you know, I was about to say angry sex that, you know, that, that rough <laughs> sex scene, like people, people call it rape because it, I think it's also one of those moments where it's like, they, they want to, they also want to paint this, this image of women that don't, and, and I have to really tiptoe around this one, this idea that rough sex is still taboo. And it's one of those things where even in the movie, I think Peter Fonda was in it. I'm probably wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it no, Peter Fonda? I think so. The the old. Yeah. Like the, yeah, the, the ones yeah. in the twenties. Like, yeah. you know, even when you watch the movie, like the quote unquote rape scene, it's not it like, at least unless I am like completely wrong, it's not a rape scene. No. Well, well, for me, just as a libertarian and then reading it, consent is always the key and there is consent. And so with consent, it's not rape. If there's no consent, it is. I mean, that's pretty simple for me. I'm a fourth way feminist and I didn't find fault with it. I actually well, believe her to be a true feminist. Well, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where they're like, well, she didn't give him permission. It's like, I, it's like, I'm, I'm sorry, world. I don't think Many of us, as we're about to initiate sex, say, do you want to have sex? Do you want to initiate sex? Sometimes, you know, 
yeah, maybe yeah. I'm crazy. It's just one of those things where you don't have to say anything. Where it no, I would agree. And, and I think people are being dishonest and those people don't have actual lives where they live with real people and have relationships. And obviously, I, you know, once somebody says, I'm not okay with this, or I'm not comfortable, obviously at that point it is, but that didn't happen. Like it's, it's, to me, it's just a way to paint her in a bad light, which many people do on many sides. And it really bothers me because I think she's brilliant. And you was can she, gain so was, much was knowledge. The, was, was the woman, was she married already? Because I know she marries like his rival. Well, she was married to somebody else, I think. Was she married? I think that's During why. The Fountainhead, because it's, it's, because it's one with, of those. Was, uh, was, was, was <laughs> shit, I forget, I forget her name. I feel terrible. Like the 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 woman who is Howard Rourke's love interest, she wasn't she wasn't married during that scene, was she? I thought she was. You know, um, it's been a while since I've studied that story. Yeah, I think so she I was really actually, but maybe I'm wrong. Because yeah, she was in a house that somebody else was building. I think it was her husband building a house, and they contracted Rourke because they liked the idea of seeing him break stone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which also like implies a lot of weird like. Um, couple stuff <laughs> which i mean Ayn Rand i mean she stares at him through life. the window like she stares at him through the window it's like one of those scenes out of desperate housewives watching the you know the, <laughs> the hot football player mow the lawn with eva longoria <laughs> yeah i remember that scene it's like that that's basically that when, when people when people criticize the fountainhead because of that one scene it's like you're you're really grasping for something because there are other scenes in that book where I'm like, if you really wanted to like objectively not like something, there are moments, there are conversations and stuff where you could just say, I don't disagree with this because this is really, you know, selfish or greedy or wrong. Um, I think it's just it, it was just one of those areas where because sex was involved in that scene, people are like, oh, look, he's a rapist. It's like he's not a rapist. Right. No, I, I, I quite agree. The 1950s. It's like that was something that people weren't like willing to speak about explicitly at that era. So like Ayn Rand actually brought something into like the mainstream conversation that most people were afraid to talk about. I absolutely agree. Yeah. So, oh, Ramsos are Ayn Rand fan. Is this yeah, even we're... going up? And are we even recording for the show right now? Oh yeah, we've been recording oh, since Lord. I said this is a cold opening. I just been, <laughs> how 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 can how can you avoid having Ayn Rand staring at you? I do. A yes, she's right over my shoulder yes. and she's looking at you and she's like judging you right now. She's Ramsos. like, yes, it was not rape. <laughs> yes. If it's rape, you say it's rape. I don't agree, and you're wrong. <laughs> did, uh, did, did your daughter end up liking the book, or was it just one of those well, things where she no, was like, No, eh, she just yeah, finished it. it and didn't write it. My daughter, uh, I, God love her, I, she leans a real hard left anarchist right now. That's fine. She has to grow up. You know, that's part of life. Oh, so she was like, Howard Rourke's a rapist. I'm done with this. <laughs> I don't think she even gave it a chance, to be honest. No. It's a it's a rough book, and you know my my one criticism of Ayn Rand, and I said this on a on another episode with um, uh, author Jack Casey was like I like her work, but it's not great fiction because I don't like her writing style. I think it's really terse. I think sometimes it's a bit rough, and you know later through the years it got better. I think in terms of like just objectively good fiction, it was Anthem. Anthem is a genuine like piece of art. Everything else can be read in different ways, but like no one has ever read Atlas Shrugged and said, "Oh, this is like 
on the same level of like, you know, Dune or Starship Troopers or something like that. I mean, I know I just pulled two sci-fi examples, but it's yes. not, it's not great for characterization and stuff like that. And even writing style, it gets really rough on people. Yeah. And, and no, I it's like, I understand sometimes people saying, I don't like her writing style and stuff like that, but to discount her entire positions and her philosophy, she literally came up with a, not that she came up with it. Obviously she hearkened back through history, but she did come up with a philosophy that was pretty foreign to most people and mainstreamed it. I mean, and, and it was also a woman that came out of a communist country and did that on her own with no help from a man. Like to me, that's amazing and groundbreaking. And to not see that or understand that I think is it's you just, you have an agenda if you can't understand that. Yeah. I mean, and it's one of those things where they try and just say that um, her, her protagonists are just as bad as the bad guys because they really have no good intent, even though they're doing things that we would define as good. And it's like that. If, if, if you break it down to like that basic level, then by like our regular society standards, they're kind of right. But it's also one of those situations where it's like, you you know, you you can't, you can't put a protagonist in the box. And I think that's the problem. Like people want to like their protagonists that they read Mm -hmm. about, but that's not always the case. Like the protagonist can still be heroic, but not likable. Um, just, just like the, the, the main character, I I forget the one woman's name from, uh, we, the living, Mm -hmm. like, you know, she's very cold towards her family. She's very cold towards her friends, but like, you know, she wanted to be an art. She wanted to be an engineer. She wanted to be more than just a woman working in a factory and stuff like that. And that's not a selfish thing. She's saying, you know, I have desires, I have things I care about, and there are things I want to do. Why should I have to limit what I want to do based off somebody somebody else's expectations of me? Nobody would ever say that was selfish, especially towards a a woman these days, in in America at least. If you said that, it's like, oh, why are you trying to limit her? Why are you trying to put her back in the kitchen? If a a guy (laughs) says that, they're probably going to say, well, he's an asshole. He's just using people because they're expendable. But I mean, you know, that that's a very fair statement. And that's what a lot of people feel like. And, you know, I think she was willing to take a lot of things that might not be, you know, socially unacceptable, but are taboo to talk about. And she made it in a way which was digestible for people. If 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 they did want to read like a 50,000 word prose on why you should have a job you want. <laughs> yes, she was verbose. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, she like her. her... You have to speak in the mic, babe. I'm speaking in the vicinity of the mic. Okay. <laughs> so, like, Atlas Shrugged was basically, like, the distillation of philosophy. I'm, I'm speaking in the mic. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> um, so she was so surprised that she couldn't, like, that, that people did not receive the fountainhead as, like, resonantly as she expected them to. Because she thought that, like, her philosophy would be perfectly explained with the novel of the fountainhead. But it wasn't, you know, that's why she had to write Atlas Shrugged. And it took her seven years to do that. It's like seven years of prophecy and like resilience and restraint um, that eventually like erupted into this great novel that actually is one of the best examples of 20th century philosophy. And I think it's been like, it's, 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 it's resonated. Well, it's <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry. Were, were um, you were you upset when like Tea Party conservatives 
were kind of taking Ayn Rand in 2012 during that election, and they basically ignored everything else and just focused on government is bad. Are we, are we talking about Ted Cruz and like <laughs> yeah. Rand Paul, like like parading Ayn Rand around on a pole, like, like they actually like believe, like believe what she had to say? It's like, like don't no, read the book, but look, I have the jacket. They'll, they'll, yes. Yeah, they'll read it in the Senate, but they don't really believe it. You know, it's like. Yeah. <laughs> if you're you not defend- my husband not- into this episode, Rumso. Well, I mean, listen, <laughs> as I said earlier, you're either wrong or you defend the fact that Howard Rourke was just having rough sex. Those are two <laughs> types of people. You're wrong or you're right. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, it, it really it, it really is. And I know I keep coming back to that point, but it's um, it, it's it's one of those things where it's like right now, like the past two years would have been like the perfect time for Ayn Rand to have like a resurgence amongst the left, amongst the right. You would have thought that the last two years would have done it with COVID, the lockdowns, everything. That yeah, but it didn't matter to them because, you know, like I, I think we even talked about this in the talking about like the Ukrainian war and people, they have to get really uncomfortable. And despite the lockdowns and things, most people still weren't uncomfortable and they didn't take any action, you know, and, and that's like, you have to have, he's got to take, I'm sorry. There's a baby in the background of the show that's too. Right. I'm being unprofessional tonight. Um, she just we're talking about rough it. sex and Howard Rourke. Okay. It's all be <laughs> so we're good. There's a baby randomly. You know how those babies happen. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> with Ayn Rand watching, right. <laughs> it is so funny because I didn't like, generally I record downstairs, but the baby had to sleep. And it is really funny because she is literally glaring at us like over my shoulder. <laughs> like, I as, I was def- as I was defending that scene, it's like I could just see maybe the picture of her smiling just getting a little bit bigger. I don't know. I want to believe. <laughs> she is. She's really looking at us right now, like over my left shoulder. But uh, yeah, I, I I feel like maybe the time for someone like, oh my goodness, now there's a baby here. Um, for somebody with her... Um, position and the thing she has to say has passed. I do not think that today she could say what she would have to say. No, I mean, she, she would immediately be canceled. And and I think it's so funny when conservatives were really championing her, like, you know, in, in, in like the latter years of Obama, because the same people that were cheering her on were the same people that were trying to basically say that her, her books and stuff were trash and like, the seventies and eighties, like William, yeah. F, like William F. Buckley didn't like her. Oh well, like, her and Rothbard were quite at odds. They, they were because she was part of his uh, his social club in uh, the Upper East Side. He would go up for their mm-hmm. objectivist meetings, and uh, to get really in the weeds, like Ovens O'Brien's parents used to go to those and stuff. Oh like really? That. Oh yeah, like her family were like the original members of the objectivist movement. So like those social clubs where people used to say like, oh, they're just a bunch of swingers and stuff like that. Like you know, th- they were not they they were not considered anywhere part of the conservative movement. And even then, like you know, with with the rise of like you know. Rothbard, Ed Crane, the Cokes and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. they weren't even really part of the libertarian movement. They were almost their own thing because they took on kind of like a religious type of um, type of thing. And I mean, you know, when, when it comes to political philosophy, and, and I think um, everyone kind of divorces this except liberals, 
like everyone wants to admit that culture doesn't have anything to play with it. Conservatives say that, but then they go ahead and give like an hour long defense of Western civilization and right. you no know, Judeo Christian culture sometimes. And then the left is like, you know, if, you know, there, there's no divorce, there's no space between the political and the cultural. It's the exact same thing. And then you have her writing about rough sex in the book and whether or not she put it there because she just wanted to add something to spice up the story or whether that was supposed to also mean something because it's there. And because it's part of the Ayn Rand Bible set, they have to talk about it and they have to defend it. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it, it comes back to that. A- another thing that somebody once told me, um, you know, like I, I love the character of Dagny Taggart. Dagny's my, you know, even though she's a lot of people's favorite character from Atlas Shrugged, mm-hmm. I mean, it's her and it, it's her and uh, Hank Reardon. I actually, t- to be a real Ayn Rand nerd when the movies came out. You, the, um, yeah. Oh, the, what did you think of the movies, by the way? Oh, uh, fucking horrible. <laughs> I, I met I met the producer for it um, one time. And I, I I asked him if he considered se- uh, selling the rights to Netflix, and he was like way ahead of you. Uh, that was like five years ago, so obviously it hasn't moved on. But yes. like when the movies came out, the the Reardon steel bracelet, the metal bracelet, I went ahead and bought that for my fiance, and she was just oh like, wait wait so you can, can we take can we take a quick pause a quick yeah. uh, mid show break all right I'll be right back. Sorry, the baby's acting up. Can you give me a, like a four minute break? Yeah. All right, we'll be right back. back. Sorry. Yeah, so I, I went ahead and bought her that um, that bracelet, the exact same one that was in the movie. And she just looked at it and was like, oh, this is just so pretty. And I'm like, well, it's from this and this and this. And I see with that. And she's like, oh, okay. It's so pretty. <laughs> and somebody came over uh, at a wedding. She wore it too. And they were like, oh my gosh, that's so pretty. It's almost like it could also be a bottle opener. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, the, the movies were trash. But I, I mean, it's, um, oh yeah, go, go, going back. I actually Dad, never watched the movies on they're, purpose. They're not worth it. <laughs> yeah, I, I purposely didn't watch them. Yeah, I mean, they're just they're just objectively bad on every level. In fact, you're going to be a worse person for having watched them. Okay. Unless you're me and you used to watch them just because you didn't want to admit they were bad. But um, now, like, pe- people used to, pe- you know, people, <laughs> it's so funny when, um, <laughs> when, when liberals are the ones making this criticism, but they're like, you know, Dagny's a whore. Like, Dagny sleeps with everybody. Like on and off and on and off, and she's breaking up marriages, and she's doing all this shit, and she's running off with strange guys. And they sound you know, very conservative when they say that. Yeah, they, they? they get they get almost <laughs> like you know Puritan in that, and it's like, wait a second, your biggest concern of Dagny is that she's she's getting laid with all these super rich, good looking guys. <laughs> like you know, it, it, you you switch things around, and she's James Bond. <laughs> Exactly. You know, that's a really good point, Ramso. <laughs> well, they don't want the hero to be at the female. No, and, and I mean, that that's one of the other crazy things. Like, you know, other than Dagny, like who else? And, and, and you know, the, the, the female character who I sadly can't remember from We the Living, like who's another, like, you know, character in the same vein as Dagny Taggart before Dagny in written literature? I can't really. Name I mean, because even if you go back to like even a, like a Jane Austen, 
all those women are pathetic looking for men. I mean, that, that's, that's <laughs> There's the whole no goal, really like female the only, Euro. Like the only way to save myself is to marry, marry up. Mm-hmm. And Dagny is the first one who's just like, I don't need these guys. They need yeah. me. <laughs> well, I mean, that was echoing a lot of her character, you know, and a lot of people bring that up. Oh, she was not. So, you know, it's crazy cat lady. And, you know, she was um, into open relationships and things like that. It's like, I, why? I feel what? bad for her. I feel bad for her husband because. <laughs> Do you? Yeah, because, because he was the hus- living the life. He, he was like he an was artist miserable. that did whatever. He was miserable. Do you think and so? I, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he was miserable because even, even Nathaniel Brandon, who um, went on to be like, you know, um, an objectivist, Tony Robbins, he was, he was good friends <laughs> with, um, he was a mentor to uh, um, Judd, um, Judd Wise uh, before he passed away in 2014. Um, even he, like in some commentary when like, I forgot what the movie was. There was, a, there was like a Hallmark movie made about Ayn Rand and the thing what? hooking up. Yeah. Like you could YouTube it. It's one of, it's like watching like a porno from the seventies because you just see like this remarkably older woman who's pretending to be Ayn Rand seducing like this 20 year old grad student and it's just like it's supposed to it's supposed to show like, you know, the loving soft side of Ayn Rand's. But what people don't remember is that she had been married to her husband for like 30 years at that point. She married him almost as soon as she uh, moved to the United States and lived with her um, family here when she was trying to get into Hollywood. And um, I mean, Nathaniel Brandon was insanely young and he was also married at that point. I mean, you know, it's, it, it was just, it was, it's uncomfortable by any standard. What is this? What, is, wait, what is this Hallmark movie? Cause I am perplexed. I've never heard of this. I don't, I don't remember what it's called. I just know that if you do Ayn Rand, Nathaniel Brandon movie on Google, you'll find it. Do you know what's really funny? We're doing this episode on Ayn Rand because of the picture over my shoulder. <laughs> yeah. I don't even remember what I was actually going to talk about. Well, it, well, I thought my husband said to me, oh, man, like, we can't get the baby to quiet. And this, what are you talking about? I said, I have no idea, but it's Remso. So whatever. That's a good excuse. <laughs> so there we are. Oh, at least we're not talking about Ukraine. No, this is, this, is the, this is the drunk history of Ayn Rand with like <laughs> all the pieces going all over the place. Well, there's going to be now. people listening to this that are going to watch that Hallmark movie. It's just I remember watching the trailer. No, somebody did like a super cut of it. And it was just the scene where like Ayn Rand is like butt ass naked and you just see like Wait, this. What? No, like no, like you don't you don't see her you don't see her tits or anything, but you like see her from the back, like she pulls like a Titanic where she like drops it and she's like draw draw me like your French girls. No, Wait, it did they have an attractive like, woman play her? Because no, obviously she wasn't attractive. I gotta I gotta Google this. We're doing this live. Okay. Ayn Rand, Nathaniel. Wait, yes. Brandon. And like, if you were a female actress, movie. that would probably be Canadian because oh, it was okay. TV. So here's, here's, um, here's the movie. Where's Helen Mirren was Ayn Rand. <gasps> what? Helen Mirren's oh, really pretty holy. and a wonderful actress. Are you fucking kidding me? Oh my me? God. Like actually. Well, now I is- have to watch it. This is, this is worse. So I'm going to read off the cast list. And the movie was called The Passion of Ayn Rand. 
Stop. Hel- That's Hel- even worse. Helen Mirren. Oh, I'm sorry. Real fast. Gary Cooper played oh Howard Rourke in The Fountainhead. Wow. This is good. It just it just keeps getting worse. Okay, so Gary Cooper was Howard Rourke in The Fountainhead, not Peter Fonda. But so Helen Mirren is Ayn Rand in this movie. Eric Stoltz is Nathaniel Brandon. Um, Julie Delpy was Barbara Brandon, and Peter Fonda was Frank O'Connor, her uh, her husband. That's a good. These aren't like A list actors, though. Yeah, like those are not people who do like direct to TV movies, right? But they did, <sighs> and it came out in 1997. Yeah, we're gonna watch it. Thanks for nothing. Thanks for wasting two hours of my like Helen Mirren. Like you know, even for her age, and she was kind of old back then. Is not a quote, you know, like unattractive woman. Right? No, she's she's very attractive. Like she's not, you know, she she's not walking on a runway any anytime soon. But they make her look really, really old in that movie, and that was like twenty five years ago. Wait, nineteen ninety seven was twenty five years ago. I know it's haunting. They stop. Now, so my husband's back, and I'm just informing him that Hallmark made a movie mm-hmm. that starred Helen Mirren as Ayn Rand. Oh, yes, I know, The Passion of Ayn Rand. Oh, oh Lord, he God, already knew it. Yeah. yeah, I've seen Jesus. it, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I read the book, too. They made a book? <laughs> yeah, there's a book. Like, yeah, it's, it's written by the wife of Nathaniel Brandon. Oh my gosh! I'm surprised. Did she did she call it the Passion of Ayn Rand, or did she, yeah, call she called it, home it the record? Passion of Ayn Rand? That's the title Man, of the book. that is so. Well, Mel Gibson weird. totally it's stole actually that. Quite excellent. Oh yeah. God! Was she was she was she okay with sharing her husband with Ayn Rand? Well, of course not. I mean, I think she accepted it, but it didn't mean she was okay with it. You know. I mean, she was just weaker than Ayn Rand was intellectually, at least. But still like. <laughs> well, I mean, that's just how it is. It's like she submitted herself in that sense. Wow. You just blew Remso's mind. I don't know what to say. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I mean, it's true. We don't mince words in this house. No, but like. Is objectivism a religion? Of course it is. I mean, any ideology that one like subscribes to, like with fervor, is religious. Yeah, I would sense. agree. Yeah, you know, objectivism is, is a yes. religion. Yes. Well, well, I did an episode on it with an objectivist, right. and he yeah. is subscribes to it. Anything that would like subscribes to it. Anything <clears> that would be would, that he would would sound contradictory to his current ideology would feel like blasphemy to him. Mm-hmm. At this moment, in I was taking it more of like you know the cult leader gets to sleep with all the younger followers, and that's why. Well, yeah, Ayn Rand, yeah, she she did that with Nathaniel Brandon, as we mentioned. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. You find this very enjoyable, don't you, honey? Oh well, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think I think my only my my. There, there was a point where I started reading more into stoicism at the beginning of 2020. And what's funny yeah. is like objectivists hate stoicism. I think it's because like between 2014 and 2016, you had like a rise in like self-avowed objectivists. <laughs> and then you had like the stoics come in and it kind of stole their thunder because they share like a baseline of worldview. But when it comes to some very distinct things, they could not be more opposite. And, right. and I think, and I think my thing is like, 
you know, the, the question of ego was really it because e- ego is almost, you know, the, the, the Christ-like center of every Ayn Rand hero. But at the same time, it's like the only reason why they always succeed in their books and why they are always justified in their actions is because they're inside works of fiction. And I don't think that necessarily translates as clearly into the real world because we don't get to control the outcomes of things. We don't get to control the, how, how things result. Sometimes and, and, and egoists in their own minds believe that they can control the outcome. Yeah. yeah right. Well, everyone wants to think the Christ. They think they can control the seas and they, they can walk on water, but it's like, okay. So here, okay. So he's I, getting I get, really I get, into I, get this. He's, I get what he's getting at. It's like, I understand. I completely understand where he's coming from. Um, so like Ayn Rand, like she wanted to create these heroes in her book that were like modern and that relatable and that people could eventually like emulate and like become like, but in a sense, like she was actually like just echoing something that had already been in, she was echoing an instruction that had always already occurred two millennia before she like told that story. That is in the story of Christ. It's like, Jesus actually was the best example of an ego worth emulating. Um, wait, hold on. What were we yes. getting at? What were we- <laughs> I like the train of thought. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> well, I- well, well, we're talking about ego being uh, yeah, we, the center. Okay, we we're talking about ego in God, like basically to blending into get. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we're trying to get the right mm-hmm. blend of ego and God, you know, in order to become like, purely harmonized beings beings that are pure that are beings that are harmonized with becoming what is best and i think that would require our egos to in a sense disintegrate um or become humble into the sense that they can like realize their actual identity but humility was nothing that ayn rand had yeah that that's almost that that is something empty from her philosophy yeah philosophy is incomplete and that's because of that she had too much hubris yes (laughs) Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the things that, you know, I, I see that and it, it's like you can't call yourself an objectivist if you're going to criticize any aspect of full embrace of ego. And right. well, well, I, I got uh, so- to the point where I just, and I never, I never used to call myself an objectivist, but I used to really defend a lot of objectivism based on that. And when it got to the point where I had to ask myself, do I really believe that that's true? I couldn't defend it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so as far as egoists, sterner types, do you think that Ayn Rand kind of took a little bit of his philosophy and ran with it? I, I'm, he I'm he pretty, is to, to me a completely insane. I mean, she, she, um, who was John? Maybe you'll know this. Who was the guy who screamed "God is dead" and flung feces all over his cell? Wait, 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 wait. Um, we're not talking about Nietzsche. Uh, yeah, Nietzsche. This, I mean, this, she she took she took almost. It's, it's some I kind mean, of progenitor Nietzsche. Yeah, I mean, not progenitor. Well, but. she she said she loved Nietzsche. She loved Aristotle. Like you know, she she never ever tried to claim that she was wholly original in her thoughts. But what which she which is respectable, actually, All because right. a lot of people do, and they just keep you know regurgitating what's been said over the years. Yeah, I mean, she she just did it in a much more explicit way, mm-hmm. and I think that's why a lot of people were. So upset. I mean, they're also kind of upset because it was a woman doing it. And it was yes, a Russian woman. I quite doing agree. It. Yes. And it was a Russian atheist woman doing it. 
mm-hmm. it was a Russian atheist woman doing it with a younger boyfriend while she was married doing it. So, you know, I think it's one of those things where just like any religion or any ideology, the attacks are always more on the person than it is the actual statements or thoughts. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, I agree. Um, like uh, John was touching on like her philosophy is incomplete and I do believe that, but most people's philosophies are incomplete um, from every philosopher, writer in, in the 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st century to politicians, you know, that people look up to. It's all incomplete. That doesn't mean you can't gain some knowledge from it, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that's where Ayn Rand fills the spots for so many people, because even mm-hmm. if you're really a fan of her, I've never met anyone that's gone through and said, oh, I completely agree with her, but like, there's always one thing. And that doesn't mean that you're dissing her. That doesn't mean that you don't like her. It doesn't mean that you can't take a lot from her. And, and I think that's you know the one thing that I wish more people did in their free time over the last few years, you know, I, I, w- I wish more people would have read her because, you know, it, it forces a conversation on folks. I mean, I know people who have read all of her books and they think she's the devil. And I've read people that, you know, claim to follow every step of hers and every thought that she had, but, you know, they, they can't help but have their own thoughts because they're people. And that's not a bad thing. Nobody needs to be the perfect version of an idea. It's just not realistic. And, you know, we're, you know what, what you were saying earlier about, like, Ayn Rand couldn't have existed today. I mean, I sadly, it, it's one of those moments where I think she gave us a warning letter as to what was to come socially and politically. And enough people read it to, you know, keep the conversation going. But for the most part, and, and I'm hoping that we're not, you know, towards the end of <laughs> end of days, so to speak. But it's like, you know, l- largely. Well, I mean, there's a little bit of evidence that we might be, but you know, there's always been that evidence. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I mean, it's. Um, I I know I know you don't like him, but like Jason Stapleton, when he tells people he's an objectivist on Twitter, they're all just like, "Oh, that justifies all your terrible behavior." And we all we all need to get we all need to get into that. But, you know, it's like when when um, when libertarians, I, I think I think this is where and correct me if I'm wrong. This is where like the objectivist schism happens amongst libertarians, because it's this idea of, you know, maybe we should be better versions of ourselves. That's the objectivist side and the non objectivist side. The anti objectivist side is we're going to elect our way towards a better society. And it's almost weird because it's almost semi-collectivist in that sense. Well, it definitely is. Yeah. Um, And libertarians can be totally be collectivist. I think you bring up a good point. I think we've seen that play over the, uh, you know, watching Ukraine and Russia on a world stage. All of a sudden, everybody who is an individualist became collectivist and backed a government when they didn't even know where that you know state was geographically on a map all of a sudden they're for something because of propaganda and and following like this collectivist ideal and it's so stupid it's like do you, if, if you actually believe these principles and live them out daily and uh I, I think again like i said i don't think an Ayn Rand could exist today which makes me really sad um I'm not one of those big people that says cancel culture is this or that, but I do think there is some merit to the fact that um, speech is so censored now because of fear 
of not falling in with a crowd and, and, you know, not falling in with a collectivist mindset. You know, I could say like, Hey, you know, maybe Putin is evil, but I don't actually think every single thing he does is evil. And I'm looked at like as some kind of traitor. Mm. Of course, I don't back, uh, you know, tyrannical government. I'm just saying, let's well, maybe well, look like at you, it. You mean you don't want to, you know, free the Kurds and stop the WMDs in Iraq? Are you pro-Saddam? <laughs> that's exactly it. It's like, I don't have to be one thing or the other. I can just look objectively at something yeah. and not have to fall in line with a group of people that think something. I can yeah. think freely as an individual. You recognize the tattoo of the snake. Yes. Yeah, you recognize yeah. the tattoo of the snake. Yeah, I... I I, I hope, and you, you see this through every dark period in history, like some of the best American writers and thinkers of the 20th century came out of World War I and World War II. And the same goes, you know, in just, in just American history, some of the greatest thinkers and writers and individuals of our time came out of the Civil War. We were, um, we were just talking about Mark Twain last night, actually. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, a lot of brilliant thinkers and free thinkers, and unfortunately – it, it's it's very taboo to think freely anymore. Yeah, I, I think um, I think if Dave Smith ends up running for president, I think he's gonna you know get a lot of people interested because they're gonna be like, who's this comedian running for president? But at the same time, it's like you can only imagine what level of shit show actions people are gonna take as they start digging up his jokes and take them out of context and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Well, like out or in or what? I, I don't think that the best move that he could ever do is run for office. I think I think, I think that would be career suicide for him. I think so too. Yeah. I much more enjoyed him before he got interested in that. To be honest, I I don't like. I don't I don't know why people see that they need to be the ones to lead a whole movement sometimes. I think that's one of the issues with the with the liberty movement and why I think it's been dead for a while because everyone wanted to be, as, as, as John put it earlier, everyone wanted to be a God archetype. They all wanted to be a Christ egoist archetype. And when you have that happening... You're not making a you're not making the community stronger because we all have somebody to look at. You're actually making it worse because you're putting more of the liability in one way. And I see that you know I saw that with Gary Johnson. I saw that with um, you know people like uh, you know Je the Jeffrey Tuckers and folks like that. Like you know we can all be. And I think this is the amazing thing about Atlas Shrugged. I think maybe Ayn Rand. I don't necessarily know if she would have agreed with this or not, but it's my point. Like all of the all of the protagonists in Atlas Shrugged, they were all equally important to each other. Even John Galt, because even though John Galt is you know the, the man of mystery, the guy who takes the Christ-like imagery to the to the highest point, like they all need each other as much as Dagny needs everyone. And even John Galt could not accomplish anything he wanted to do without the others. It's like a fellowship of the ring type of thing. And it's like, you know, the only reason why that could exist, the only reason why that, you know, that, that whole movement and that push to Galt's Gulch ended up happening, why the revolution happened in Atlas Shrugged is because you had a lot of strong individuals working together voluntarily for a mutual cause. It wasn't because you just have a bunch of followers following one person. And I think that's the issue with a lot of libertarians. Like they don't see themselves as strong enough individuals. They don't see themselves as somebody capable of being equal to one of their heroes. They just want a hero to come in and save them. 
Yeah. Um, a lot of that whole fight for individuality and, you know, um, you know, believing in individual rights falls by the wayside when somebody strong comes along. And one beautiful quote of Ayn Rand that most people know is, what is the smallest minority on the earth? It is the individual. And if we want to stand up for somebody, we stand up for the individual because it's the smallest minority. And there's a lot of truth to that. But unfortunately, most people that consider themselves liberty people or libertarians don't actually live that out at all. You know, that as long as somebody bigger and better comes along and says things they like, they'll just fall back in line the same way everybody on the left and right does. And it is disappointing. But at the end of the day, you know, we're all people. So I couldn't imagine that we would expect anything more. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the best takeaway from this as we wrap up is that, you know, people people need to be bold enough to be wrong and admit to it. People need to be bold enough to say that they don't always agree, but they're willing to work with others. And that sometimes, you know, the, the bravest person in the room is the one that ultimately is the scaredest to do something. And, and I think that's the great thing about Ayn Rand's work. And, you know, I, I read all of her books between the ages of 18 and 23. No, I take that back, 16 and 23. I started reading her when I was 16. And, um, you know, while I don't agree with everything, while me and her have completely different worldviews and opinions on life, um, you know, what, I've, what I'm saying now is what I've said for years, which is I think I'm a better person because I read her work. Because I don't know many authors who are ever going to make you question your beliefs and make you stand up for them as much as she will. And it doesn't matter whether she would have agreed with me or not. What she ultimately wanted people was to think and know why. And she's still staring at me from the camera. So weird. Yeah, I had just move her back into frame. Although, please, God, don't put this on. Oh, God, no. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> tired. But, no, I, I agree. And, and I think what prop, one of the biggest problems with our society, especially with the um, invention of the Internet and social media, is that we're all afraid to say something that might make other people dislike us, afraid to stand up, like you said. And, and I think that is probably the worst part of humanity. And, and the strongest part throughout history is people that are, aren't scared to say things that might not make them popular. And I think at the end of the day, trying to gain popularity through liberty, well, the, number one, you're an idiot if you think that's going to happen. <laughs> you can it, barely make being, a living doing being, it. It's being the coolest kid at the autistic yeah. table. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which, I mean, maybe we are, Ramzo. I mean, I, I could live with it. I mean, I everybody know. wants to be at my lunch table, right? Everyone, everyone. <laughs> if I'm going to be at any table, I might as well be king. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, Trisha, if anyone wants to follow up and argue with you online about this later because you've committed some heresies and blasphemies, how could they do so? Uh, you can follow me on most social media platforms, either Trisha.Stewart, uh, Instagram, Trisha Stewart Man, Facebook, and then I'm Trisha Arkey or Ginger Arkey. So you can find me anywhere or go to gingerarkeypodcast.com. Trisha, thank you. Thank your husband, John, as well. And, <laughs> that was a uh, surprise guest. Hey, I, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, folks, my, uh, my throat is murdering me. So go ahead and check out the show notes. Click on some affiliates. Help me go ahead and pay a bill or two. And I'll talk to you later. Good night. Peace.